0: Hello world. Welcome to the speed strength show. I'm Braden.
1: I'm Tony and the imperial system or the metric system.
0: Oh, metric for sure. For sure. That's Hey, I'm on board with you. But I, Last I checked like 30% of our listeners are in the States though. So this could be well, controversial. I mean, that's all right. Um, <laughs> the, the reason I
1: bring it up is because this has been a culture shock I dealt with being in Windsor.
0: Mm -hmm. is it's canadian
1: but everyone uses the imperial system well you're right on the border so i I know and so but it drives me nuts when we're talking about like especially now we're in winter like it's a little bit chillier and we're going to shut down so then you have a conversation about well can we go outside can we get some of the kids to go out and they're like oh it's you know might be a little cold today it's 42 degrees i'm like it's not 42 degrees it's (laughs) minus five like or i don't even know what it directly works to, but like as soon as I hear, oh, it's 35 or it's 45, I think sweltering hot.
0: Yeah. But they're oh, all yeah.
1: running with the imperial system here mm-hmm. and using Fahrenheit, which I don't even know. All I know is I think 68 degrees Fahrenheit is 20 degrees Celsius. After that, no idea.
0: I think the one that I know, I, I think 32 is zero. Oh, is that what zero is? I think so. I, I I don't even know, to be honest. I'm not certain, but I'm pretty I like I... confident um but yeah that's that's fahrenheit is the one that makes the least sense to me of all of them i think like what is it in reference to you know like well they don't even have a mutual zero
1: point that's what i mean like i mean i guess other than absolute zero which is like what minus 273 kelvins or whatever no one even uses kelvins that's like a science
0: lab thing that people do yeah Exactly. But I don't know. Like it's, it's so like the metric system where like we use a lot of the Imperial system based off of habit, like recipes are in cups and ounces and whatnot. Um, and like height is in feet and inches. Centimeters is fine, but people Our driver's license are in centimeters. Centimeters. Yep. That's right. Um, but, uh, yeah, like the metric system just makes so much sense. It's so nice. It's so nice. nice.
1: Like not only everyone
0: here, Not only is it like, it's based on tens, which is so much easier to do math and to count. Just move the decimal. Done. Um, but yeah, like zero degrees Celsius is when water freezes, hundred degrees Celsius is when water boils. Um, even just like a kilogram is the weight of one liter of water. Like it's, it's all just based off of how water works, which is like the most ubiquitous thing.
1: You it's know. everywhere.
0: Yeah, it's well, and, and and maybe it's because like in Canada we have a lot of water, and where this all started in Britain, you're surrounded by water, so like maybe that's part of it. But it's just more intuitive, like you said, it's all in
1: tens. It's easy to do the math. Mm-hmm. Like anyone who's like, oh yeah, it's easy with imperial math. No, it's not. Like it's easy if you have a calculator in front of you. and <clears> I get that everyone now has a calculator on their phone and whatever, but. Like you still have to remember all the conversions. You still have to remember all the conversions where for the metric system, you don't, and I don't even need to take out my phone and get the calculator and figure out whatever. I just move the decimal place over. I'm like, Oh yeah, that's a thousand meters or a kilometer can roll with either because it's so easy
0: to do the math. Yeah. It's yeah. So, and yeah, it's so strange to me. Like just like all the conversions, it seems, it seems so random. It, like it, it just doesn't make any sense it doesn't 12. make any
1: sense it, it just and i get maybe if you grew up with it and it's all you know then it makes sense because it's all you know but it do, it just it doesn't click with my brain it doesn't
0: register well yeah it's like it yeah just the, it doesn't seem like there's rules it seemed like there's just like one time one person came up with something and they're like yeah we'll throw that into we don't have one for volume so we we'll, we'll throw that in
1: if the imperial system was a language it'd be english
0: that's what I was going to say. Yeah. It like, makes sense. Cause it's all we know, but it doesn't make sense
1: if that's not where you come from. Yeah. Like I said, it's not even like intuitive. And so that's, I only bring it up like, man, I'm, I'm loving being in Windsor. You know, I'm with a good group of people, but man, the Imperial system is driving me bonkers. <laughs> it's driving me nuts. Yeah. Like I can't. Oh, and that's I've never that. had to deal with that before. Yeah. Cause yeah, I've always been far true. enough away from the border that, you know, the metric system is is what we roll with.
0: Yeah, yeah. Just the whole, um, like, twelve inches is a foot. Three feet is a yard. It's like one thousand six hundred something yards is a mile. Yeah. Think, oh, it's oh,
1: what is it? 1, <laughs> 16, 1609, I think. Sure, sixteen oh nine. I think. Why? Or no. Is that. Or yeah. is it? Sorry, I think it's sixteen hundred nine meters. Is a, oh, okay. a one mile because if you do four laps around the track, I know this from track. That's that's what it is sixteen hundred and nine meters. Because if you go to the like if you go to any track, there's a random like sloped or curved line about nine meters back from the finish line. That's the mm. one mile start line.
0: Oh, okay.
1: <laughs> because four laps around the track is sixteen hundred meters, which is technically like nine point whatever meters
0: short of a one mile. Yeah, and in yeah, the states
1: they run the one mile race, so right. all the tracks get.
0: Yeah, interesting. That's well, there you go. Yeah, and then a yard is basically like 0. 0.9 meters or something like that. So
1: it would yeah, be yeah, like because eleven or
0: eighteen or something. Eleven
1: yards. Again, these are the only conversions I know because of track and field.
0: Because <laughs>
1: when you have to try to mix yeah. things over, I think it's eleven <laughs> yards is ten meters. Yeah. So that sounds about right so
0: yeah it's very strange but i'd rather very just strange. stick to the metric system to be honest yeah i mean it makes so much more sense but it's and it's weird too like it's weird that so much of our cooking stuff is imperial too though well yeah and For, the canadian football league plays in the yards which i think makes sense because it's based off of
1: american football but it's our only pro sport it's our only like actual pro sport that's only canada
0: is lacrosse not mostly canada
1: well no but they still have teams in the states so that's it's true. a league that shared i but guess we technically there's a, a basketball league now
0: yes there is that's and right i'm
1: sure there's some others out there but for the longest time of like major sports on television yeah the cfl was the only one that was all canadian teams yeah in this country didn't share anything with the states and right. they use yards
0: yeah, we yeah, should have used yeah.
1: a football field measured in meters just to just to be different, just to show that yeah. the metric system was
0: better. What's interesting too is it because if it's 110 yards, if we had it 100 meters, that would be like pretty much the same.
1: Well, it would be so yeah. goal line to goal line on a on a, a Canadian football field is 100 meters.
0: Yeah, that's so str- <laughs> that's so funny. Oh, man. But on an
1: American football field, I guess it would be what
0: like. 89 meters or yeah it's like yeah 89 or 90 something like yeah. that and so, then yeah we could have yeah we could have we could have uh three downs to get a 10 meter yeah 10 meters for a first down or would we go three <laughs> you get three downs to go nine meters well no it would still work because then there's like 10 you split the field into 10 but now i guess we have the field split into 11 well no because it's 100 meters so you could split it into well, you would, but like now it's like 11 chunks of 10 yards. Oh, yeah, yeah, I see. Instead saying. of 10 chunks of 10 meters. But yeah.
1: Well, you heard it here. I think the CFL should move to meters. That'd be good. How that receiver that? had 1,200 meters of receiving this year. Your
0: stats wouldn't be as impressive. No, because they would be less. Yeah. It's like when you lift in kilos versus pounds.
1: Oh, yeah. Pounds is way better because you, yeah, the numbers are uh, bigger. But,
0: yeah. A little while ago, we like we were at in Ajax and I don't remember who put it in, but we were making having like a lasagna or something and the it was the noodles were different. The noodles said like you had to bake it at <clears throat> it was like 200 or 250 or something. Um, because and what was it nobody, in Celsius, you mean? It was in Celsius. Okay. Nobody thought to check, so they put it in. And it was supposed to be like 40 minutes and then they checked and it was like, it's not really done at all. And I'm like, 40 minutes at 250 seems really low. It does. And then like looked at the packages of, of course, it's in Celsius. So what's that? 450. Okay. Crank it up. You know? (laughs) So weird. But yeah, I don't know where that the noodles must have been from the UK or something. Or from Italy or somewhere in Europe where they
1: use the metric system and then. Mm-hmm. they weren't going to put their oven in Fahrenheit cause their oven was probably in Celsius.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Very strange. It does make it confusing to switch back and forth,
1: but well, especially for us. Cause we're kind of in the middle.
0: Well, yeah. Especially for you. Right. Literally. Oh, no, no, no. Edge. People here are just
1: straight Imperial system. Oh, Okay. Yeah. But I mean, as a country, cause we're so influenced by the States, but yeah. we're on a metric system. So we, you know, like you said, how much do you weigh? No one says kilos here. Everyone talks about being their weight or their mass in pounds. Yeah. But how far is the grocery store? Oh, it's five kilometers down the road. We've never say it's like three miles or whatever.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's true. Um So it's just, we're like a,
1: a mishmash of this imperial metric.
0: You know, it was interesting too. When I was in, when we were in, uh I, when we were in Scotland, I, so I don't remember what um, like England and around London was like, but yeah. when we were in Inverness for sure, the speeds on the road were miles. Really? Yeah. And I, I bet you Scotland I, did that just to be different from England, but I, I think <laughs> I guarantee London, that's why they did it. <laughs> I think London was the same. If I remember, correctly. Oh, was it? I, I think so. But it, like, why is that? that but London also
1: sense. like, sorry, not London, the UK drives on the other side of the road. Yes. As were the rest of Europe does not yeah so i mean
0: yeah that's a whole
1: nother what side of the road should you drive on
0: that's a whole nother opener yeah it doesn't uh none of it makes any sense but you know you just i guess you learn one and you stick with it that's what i'm trying to do i mm-hmm. really was and then i got here and i have to relearn the imperial system yeah but uh anyway i mean the point of this podcast is to not stick to the one we know. It's to learn a bunch of stuff. That's right. So, so I'm better for it. Yeah, that's right. And this this was one that we didn't want to learn anything about. Or well I, I didn't even want to do this one to be honest. Yeah, you wanted to you wanted to push it away. I was
1: I was down to do any other topic but the aerobic system. Yeah. But here we are. You pulled me in. Yeah. And now part I'm three. happy I'm here.
0: Yeah, exactly. It's been a it's been a good time and we're excited to cap off the journey with part three. You bet where we get a little bit more concrete well, concrete and abstract in the same sense, I suppose. Yeah. Because we spent the last few episodes talking about like why it's important, what it does, like some of the adaptations that you can uh, hope to achieve. Um, and then now we're going to talk about obviously potential training applications, which seem like they would be pretty good, but also maybe have never been done or we haven't heard of them being done or not. So, um, yeah. A little more practical, a little more applied. Yeah. Like let's actually,
1: can you go out and get your hands dirty with this stuff? Either, mm-hmm. you know, train your athletes with these methods or I don't know doing some of it yourself as we highlighted in the first one probably should be doing some, everyone should be doing a little bit of this.
0: A little bit at least. Um, yeah.
1: So, so yeah, a little more practical today, a little more applied. Hopefully people have ideas taken away now mm-hmm. from this that they can actually use in their in their day-to-day coaching and training and things like that.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah. Where did you want to start with, uh, with this one? Cause you had some ideas too.
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, maybe the place to start here is just that I mentioned it a little bit in, in part part two, where
0: it's not that difficult to train the aerobic system. No. I mean, it's like anything else. Like there's everything trains everything there's some ways to get a little bit more specific with it. Yeah, no no, but what i mean by that is that
1: it's 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 a quality where you can see a tremendous improvement. Right? You might not be able to make everybody jump out of the gym. You might not be able to make everyone super super fast, but everyone can have a pretty reasonable level of fitness. And so in terms of like bang for buck in terms of improving somebody's ability on the aerobic end, it's it's a very trainable system and it's a very resilient system as we talked about. You can make adaptation and you can hold on to that adaptation really, really well. And with some of the papers we were talking about, some of the studies we highlighted, you know, you can get out there once a week and do something aerobic and start to see improvements. You know, You go for a jog on one day and the next week you go for a jog and it probably feels a little easier. And the week after that, it's a little easier and so on and so forth. And you can create a lot of adaptation. So I think that's one of the, the big things I try to think about. And this has reminded me of it doing this series is that it's a very trainable quality and it doesn't have to be the be all and end all of your training, especially on the speed power side. We can still get out once a week and do some aerobic stuff and we can get better and we can stay fit. And it doesn't need to be like, oh, we need to put speed stuff on pause or strength stuff on pause or ignore those things because we need to do four days of aerobic training a week. And so it's, I think that's maybe a place to start is that it's a very flexible thing that you can work into your training, regardless of what sport, regardless of if you're playing a sport or not,
0: regardless of what level you're at. Yeah, for sure. It it can be very flexible and especially like if you don't do that much it doesn't take that much to like get an adaptation like you said going out once a week for 20 minutes that's fine you know that'll be enough and and then like going out once like once you've built up some of it like continuing to go out once a week or every other week or every yeah. you know three or four weeks whatever it'll be or the enough. volume doesn't even need to be as higher the intensity doesn't need to be no as and much. assuming you can Yeah. And if, if you are playing a sport, you know, assuming there is a reasonable level of aerobic requirements in your sport, like practice will probably be enough or games will probably be enough to maintain what you've built. So that's kind of, that was my thought too. Like if it's an important thing for your sport, then, you know, you might want to dedicate some time early in the off season to like, to develop it. But once you've developed it, you don't need to do much to maintain it, you know? So it, it could be one of those things where, yeah, just like, just like everyone wants to get in and like do volume work at the beginning of the off season or whatever, like build up your capacity. Um, it could be good, like in conjunction with that potentially. Um, and then you don't need to do much to maintain it later on when you're trying to develop more of the speed power stuff as well.
1: Well, and that's exactly it. So I think what I'm getting at is, you know, we're both in the speed, speed, power, strength realm of, You know, most of the training and most of the athletes that we work with is that there's really not an excuse for us to exclude it simply because our coaching and our athletes live more on the anaerobic side. Cause like, let's be real. If I send speed power athlete once a week to go do a 20 or 25 minute run, it's not going to take away from
0: the other stuff that we're doing. Yeah. Not necessarily like it, it, it does depend. Like there is evidence to show that there is like there is interference there can be interference for sure um i didn't i think that's with big training blocks
1: if i was trying to really develop the aerobic system at the same time i'm really trying to develop the anaerobic system
0: yeah like the papers i came across didn't really seem to do it in a great way um i think it was the most reasonable one i found like it was and it was never comparing like speed development with aerobic development it was comparing strength with aerobic development. Um, but it, the most reasonable one I found was like two days of strength, two days of running. So if you had, you know, four days of strength with one easy day of running, like who's to say what that would look like. We don't like, I, I didn't find the research to, to show what that would look like, but it would be more reasonable theoretically. Um, and then obviously like, if you have like a full strength program and you add running to that, it, could be like, it's not going to be as good. Um, and if you have a full like aerobic training program and you add strength to that, it, well, actually, I mean, that research shows that could be beneficial, but, um, you know, it, it needs to be set up a little bit more intelligently than some of the research tries to show anyway.
1: Um, yeah. And I mean, I can give an example here of, cause it was like, like what the training blocks looked like for us like when I was competing at Waterloo And we were on a Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday schedule in terms of our training and Monday, Thursday, Saturday were like, we moved fast. Mm -hmm. There was blocks, there was speed stuff. There was like race modeling and we lifted on all those days. So three big training days geared towards what I would say was the speed power side Mm -hmm. Monday, Thursday, Saturday, that Tuesday session was always a pretty big aerobic session. Mm -hmm. We'd have a lot of volume or longer tempo runs and, and things like that, but You know what? You got your speed and lifting in on on the Monday. You come in and hit a pretty big aerobic session on the Tuesday. You have Wednesday off. Now you're prepared to come back and hit some of the speed and the lifting you got on Thursday. Friday's off. You come back and do the same thing on Saturday. Mm -hmm. So that's an example to me where, like, yeah, so we had a dedicated day to building some of that aerobic development. Mm -hmm. And we needed it. Like, even... You know, if we go back to that Gaston paper where they broke down the percentage of energy where it came from in a given event, 10 seconds, which we had nobody on the team who could run 10 seconds flat in the 100 was a 94, 6% split. Mm -hmm. So 6% of the energy was coming from the aerobic system. So now you look in the 200 meter where, you know, the guys were running low, you know, 21, 22 type range. And the ladies were running, you know, 25, 26, 27. That number is going to be higher. It's maybe like 15%. Yeah. And now we were running the four as well in the 300. So we needed a certain level of aerobic development, but we didn't want to interfere with the speed. So that's an example of what I mean, where it's, I think it's very flexible where you can get a good aerobic session in once a week and not have it interfere with the other stuff. Even if the name of your game is the sprint as fast as you can. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Um, which I get, it's a little bit different compared to something like powerlifting, where there is, you know, yeah, you may not have people running the 300 or 400 where there's a little bit more aerobic, but we talked about all the other benefits that aerobic training brings to the table. So maybe it's not a big, heavy aerobic day like we had, but maybe it's, maybe it's even just going out for a 60 minute walk on one of your off days or something. Oh, there's yeah. so many ways that we can flexibly flexibly i don't know if that's a word but we can find space to put it into the training program and i think that's the most important thing because we can i mean i'm biased towards this i've been a little bit reluctant to try to mm-hmm. either myself or for the athletes to try to put that stuff in there yeah because we are worried about it interfering
0: with the speed power yeah well yeah i mean like and it, it certainly is going to depend on you know the length of your activity as you alluded to and um and like the movement too like if you're a sprinter and you're going for a jog like it's it's not the same stride but like you're working on a lot of the same things
1: well heck i mean it could be on the bike or the elliptical it doesn't even matter
0: well exactly and that's you just need that if some I was, sort of like
1: blood flow and heart rate
0: yeah and but even, like that's what i mean like if you're going for a jog as a sprinter that can be valuable like for refining the movement a little bit um and like you're still like being springy and you're still being light you know yeah you're there's still, still
1: impact like, there's still compared to like the bike where there's like, like a lot no of impact structural
0: or... changes yeah a lot of the structural changes are going to be similar I think um and for powerlifting like I would probably most of them would be pretty terrible at running so I wouldn't do that but um like bike would be easier like going I mean going for a walk going for a walk a few times a week is any yeah anybody can do that that's not going to interfere with anything um But um, what I like too about looking into some of the interval stuff is you can get, like those aerobic adaptations, you can get a little bit more of the like anaerobic um, and still do things that are quite fast while still developing the aerobic system. Um, And you can do it in a way that is a lot more tailored to uh, like the types of activities you're doing and the times that you're doing because there's just so much variability with like your work to rest ratios and like the the lengths and the intensities that you can be working at um so that was one thought that i had too like where you can start at the beginning of your off season doing more of like a one-to-one or one-to-two um rest to work ratio two to one sorry two to one work to rest ratio um more aerobic yeah. More aerobic do and less aerobic transition to, yeah. Like one to three, one to five, you know, if you're doing like actual sprint work, it's going to be like one to 10, one to 12. Oh, it could be one to like 200. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, I think that kind of a transition makes some sense. And even like, if you're, I wouldn't do super long work, uh, or rest intervals. If you're going like, uh, with the one to one or two to one, because if you, you know, do like a, a one minute, um, sprint or even like longer, if you're doing like a three minute sprint to a three minute rest, like you're that three minutes is becoming quite like more like a jog. And then you're like really, really recovered by the end of three minutes anyway. So doing more like a 10 second, 10 second, or like a 20 second, 10 second would keep it quite aerobic and then you don't need to be, um, super intense. And then you have a little bit more freedom when you get into like the one to three, uh, one to five range where you can do stuff. That's like 30 seconds long or a minute long or whatever. Um, but working all up and down that spectrum, I think would be really valuable and a really easy way to transition from one into the other, um, and maintain throughout the off season. Well, and that's exactly
1: where, like Joel Jamison's book, Ultimate MMA Conditioning, which don't get confused with the title. Yes, he works with, with fighters, he works with combat sport athletes, but the, the book is geared towards energy system development. And the ideas and the concepts can be taken from that and put into any, any sporting context, any environment, whatever. It's not, he provides specific examples of MMA but you know, your sport, you'd be able to figure out, you know, how to use it. And he talks about the exact same thing about, you know, starting with those, you know, more aerobic style intervals, or maybe having more of them in earlier in the off season and then transitioning towards more anaerobic work, you know, later on. And, um, you know, a lot of really different, good, like different methods that would work well one of the things i like about his book is that he doesn't just present like hey here's long slow distance running that's the only way you can you can start out it's more the concept behind well you're doing continuous work at a very low intensity for a very long time doesn't have to be running or you know aerobic intervals of you know 1 minute on 1 minute off type thing Again, doesn't have to be running or being on a bike or something like that. He offers, you know, examples of doing that stuff with like med ball work. So then it stays a little bit more explosive or there's faster, faster movements. But from a, an interval standpoint, it still fits within an aerobic window, right? So maybe that's something better for a more dynamic athlete. So for example, a combat sport athlete, where whether they're in the first 30 seconds of the round or the last 30 seconds of the round, they still need to be moving around like, and they're still moving in a relatively dynamic and fast fashion. So you could create a med ball circuit that still gets at the same thing that running would, you could create a strength circuit that still gets the same thing. So he was kind of peeling back some of the layers in the book saying, Hey, here's how the aerobic system, here's how the anaerobic systems work. And here are some of the time frames, Here are some of the intervals. Here are some of the outputs that are associated with that. So regardless of the modality or the method, you can still achieve that that outcome. Mm -hmm. And so that's one of the things I love about about that book is that, yes, he uses a lot of NNA examples, but if you understand your sport and you understand training, it opens your mind to going like, yeah, I could create a strength circuit that creates aerobic adaptations. Mm -hmm. I could create a med ball circuit. I could create a, I mean, he uses the word plyo, not all the exercises are necessarily plyo in my opinion, as we know from the previous series, but you know, we're ground contacts are maybe a little bit faster, but it's a lower intensity. There's so many different ways you can do it. And so again, it's a combat sport book, but I do really enjoy the content in that book because it gives you so many different options on how you can develop, not just the aerobic system. I'm talking about that in this episode, but across the board. There's a number of different ways you can metabolically prepare your body for sport. Mm-hmm. And I would suggest everyone goes out and, and get a copy or get a hold of a copy, read the book, take notes, do whatever. Cause it is a really, really good, good resource to have. If you're like me and you don't really like the conditioning side of things and it's not your favorite place to go read research and figure it out, That book was the perfect, like, oh, good. I don't need to go look at
0: any of this stuff. I can borrow these ideas and be good to go. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's a really great point that uh, like one, I mean, it's, it's it's intuitive. You think about it, but um, there are a number of attributes to conditioning or interval work that you can modify. Like we talked about the work to rest ratio, the lengths of both of those intervals, the intensity of both of those intervals um and then the activity you're doing as well is a really really great thing to keep in mind that you can and it doesn't have to be like um like i i find myself getting caught in the like okay if we're doing cardio there's running there's biking there's elliptical there's rowing that's it right but no you can do kettlebell swings you're talking like i remember there was one time where you were doing uh, like something akin to like interval work with the kettlebell or or whatever. Oh, yeah.
1: that 10,000 kettlebell swing challenge. Yeah. That would, you want to talk about aerobic. That was aerobic. Yeah. I was but it's dying. explosive
0: at the same time too, right?
1: Yeah. Now was I swinging the kettlebell as violently <clears throat> as I would, if I was just picking up a heavy kettlebell and doing eight swings. Absolutely not. But like you said, there's still this like rhythmical. Yeah. Explosive element. And that's, I don't know. <clears throat> have you read ultimate MMA?
0: No, I haven't. I haven't, okay. but uh, I
1: definitely should. But it's, it's nice how he lays it out because he'll talk about, for example, like, you know, the cardiac output method or long, slow distance method, or, you know, the lactic power method or whatever, he breaks down all the different types of conditioning, but then he provides like, here's what you could do as a strength circuit. Here's what you could do. If you want to like move around, here's some like med ball stuff or jumping or this or that. Mm. So again, like you said, it opens your mind a little bit to not thinking, oh, in order to do speed work, I have to just sprint or in order to do max strength, I can only lift heavy barbell weights in order to do conditioning. I can only run. Like it doesn't, doesn't trap you into that thinking. Mm -hmm. And again, it's given me ideas where like, for example, on some of those off or lower intensity days. Yeah. I've played around with providing my athletes with, you know, a few tempo runs, and then you do some lighter kettlebell swings or a little med ball circuit that's mm-hmm. a little bit snappier, still low intensity. And then we go back and do some more tempo runs. And then we come back to the med ball circuit and then we go back to the mm. tempo runs. So we're still, it's continuous. We're always moving as that aerobic element, but it's not like slow and grindy where yeah. we're just pounding the pavement and moving along. It, it feels a little bit more like I'm developing the aerobic system in a more responsible way based on what those Mm -hmm. athletes
0: need. Yeah. Well, and it's great too that. Yeah. To keep that in mind that you can really tailor the type of conditioning work that you're doing to like the athletes that you have in the sports they compete in, you know? Um, so obviously for track doing something that is a little bit more explosive and reactive and bouncy in nature makes sense. Um, doing a strength circuit. Like I can, I can see myself, you know, like actually programming a strength circuit on like an easier day or, um, And maybe it's isolation stuff that you would be doing with your power lifters on other days. Yeah. It could be. Yeah. But you
1: circuit some of that isolation work together. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then you get like, who knows? There's a bunch of different ways you could do it. But like you said, it, it opens your mind to
0: thinking about it differently. Yeah. Cause like the, the aerobic side of it is really just like, essentially it is a work to rest ratio or like a time and intensity that you're doing stuff, but the activity that you're doing can be anything. Exactly. Um,
1: Well, we talked, the heart is dumb. The heart and the vessels are dumb yeah, and they don't know what you're doing. It just knows I need to pump out at this heart rate, X number of blood yeah. or and X number of milliliters of blood, whatever.
0: And, and it's helpful to know too, like what kind of adaptations you're going after. Like we talked about like, you know, a bunch of different things that you can hope to accomplish with this type of training in the last episode. Um, so if you are going after like the blood vessel, the heart, the blood adaptations, then it doesn't matter. Like as long as you are elevating your heart rate, then you're doing it. Um, if you want to go after some of the muscular adaptations, then you have to be a little bit more specific. Um, if you want to the
1: movements and things like that.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, and some of the like metabolite clearance things, then the intensity matters a little bit more. Um, but you know, if you know what you're trying to do, then you can be a lot more specific or free with what you're attempting to select, you know? Um, so that's, that's good to keep in mind for sure. Um,
1: but yeah, yeah. it's a really good book. I would recommend if you know, somebody who has it, borrow it. If you, you know, if you mm-hmm. see it on the shelf somewhere in chapters or Indigo or whatever they're called now, then like buy it. Yeah. It's, it's worth it. It's worth it. Yeah.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I uh, definitely will have to give that one a read. Um, But that, uh, doing a strength circuit. So I was talking, we were talking about potentially having, um, a conversation on training around a female hormonal cycle, Mm. um, with a guest that, I mean, I won't say her name until like it's confirmed that we're going to do it. But, um, there was, so I listened to a podcast where she was explaining the, um, like essentially what to do at different times of the cycle. And it's like, if your period is day one, um, it's like around day eight or 10 or something like that, that testosterone peaks. Um, So that's around the time where you want to be doing the heavy strength stuff or the like uh, more plyometric stuff, like the, like higher intensity stuff. Yeah. I was going
1: to say higher like output movements.
0: Yeah. And then testosterone starts to come down. And I don't remember it all super, super well, but um, progesterone comes up and then you feel like more relaxed, um, but also like more like less energy. And um, so that's not the time to be doing heavy strength stuff, essentially. Um, So then she recommends doing more uh, like cardio based stuff, more like aerobic or um, and then there's certain times where you're more or less social. So like maybe doing. Like a fitness class or something with a bunch of other people. Um, so anyway, then like when as I was thinking about trying to apply that to um, like powerlifters or sprinters, we were talking about that before. Um, is there aerobic stuff that would make a meaningful contribution to their training? And as we're talking to, yes, like it, it is a meaningful contribution. It's, made, it's not necessarily as important as like the sprinting or the heavy lifting that you're going to do, but um, doing like I can see myself at those points doing more like maybe it's not going to be a strength circuit for a power lifter, but maybe it's more like it's like squats EMOM kind of you're doing a bunch of sets, the weights low um, and the reps are low too, but you're doing like, you know, three or four reps like every minute on the minute for like 10 minutes, whatever. And it's, it's more of an aerobic stimulus than like, um, than, than an anaerobic stimulus, you know, something in that direction anyway, I think would make sense. Um, and she was explaining on the podcast too, that I think it was the state's national soccer team, maybe like women's soccer team, or it, it, it was some countries, uh, women's national soccer team that for six months um, prior to worlds or Olympics or whatever, were like training, like doing their strength and conditioning work around this hormonal cycle um, in this way where you're doing like high intensity stuff some weeks and then lower intensity stuff other weeks. And they had a tremendous amount of success success, apparently um, and ended up winning. So whoever won the most recent championship or something.
1: Wasn't that Canada? Didn't the Canadian,
0: the women's team won gold at the Olympics. Yeah, they did. So I probably I don't think it was the Olympics then. But Oh, okay. I don't know. All right. I'm not sure, but I think it was the States. I could be I could be wrong. I but, mean, they they're a good team. Yeah. So um, that would
1: check out from that standpoint of the team had success.
0: That yeah, would make so sense. They they had they had success in they. So um something like that for female athletes specifically could be a good uh, consideration as well. Well,
1: yeah, and again it brings in again, we didn't really touch on that element leading up to this no, episode that, but it, again, all. it's another factor that plays into like the hormonal system yep. feeds into that. It plays into, you know, your aerobic ability. So it does make sense that, yeah, why not you, if you have those markers or you have something to suggest, Hey, you're up, you're down, you're wherever, you know, match the training to what you can, what you can get done. And so again, yeah, like that's another element. Like I said, we didn't touch on it explicitly because that wasn't, you know, what we talked about with the aerobic system leading up to this, but it makes sense because like you said, it has a direct impact on your output, your ability, what the aerobic system, what the anaerobic system is going to be capable of doing. So yeah, if you have markers to indicate you're up or down, or you should train this way or that way, why not take advantage of it because you're probably going to maximize yeah. that training anyway.
0: Yeah. hundred percent. Like you it's, it doesn't make sense to um, to like plan those things or like it's, and it's, you have to have a, like a, a reasonable understanding of how you want to do it um, because it's like, for me thinking about like everybody in powerlifting trains on a weekly basis. So thinking about training on a monthly basis is a little bit, um, daunting because I don't really know how to do it but you know learning more about that is helpful because you you're trying to help people as much as you can right so
1: well I mean one idea off the top of my head is we did talk a little bit about we've talked about in past series and we talked about in this one but that the classic study from uh, Isarin and colleagues on the the resiliency of qualities mm, yeah and so yeah, yeah you could potentially create a monthly training block around that. Where if you know that you, once you've developed maximal strength, it's 30 plus minus five days aerobic development. Now, mind you, this was all done on elite Russian athletes who are probably consuming vitamins. So maybe you need to scale some of those numbers back, but at the end of the day, it gives you an idea of where like, okay, if I was going to roll on a 28 day, training cycle. Okay, if I got two max strength days in there, I probably maintain my strength. If I got two aerobic mm-hmm. days in there, I probably touch on the aerobic system. I maybe need to have a little bit more speed stuff in there because that quality is more sensitive. You might be able to roll on something like that, like every 5 days I need to get a speed day. Every 10 mm-hmm. days I need a strength day. Every 15 days I need an aerobic day. Mm-hmm. You could potentially do yeah, something yeah. like that. And w- one of the other interesting things that came out of ultimate MMA, which I think relates to this is Joel Jameson talks about, you know, being able to use technical work as a means of aerobic development. Mm. And so there's lighter intensity sparring or rolling or combat movements. He was able to use to work into that development, which what you're talking about here with the cycle might work well too, where does the sport coach have an inventory of higher and lower intensity technical drills? And maybe Mm -hmm. that makes sense on days where we need to be lower intensity. Yeah. There's more aerobic development. The skills are not as challenging and they can, you know, do more continuous volume work with their technical skills, whether it's, you know, you're talking soccer, maybe that's passing, it's positioning, you know, that type of stuff compared to like competitive, you know, four on five or five on six, mimicking playing defense or offense against an opponent mm-hmm. or like full field things where you're going to have to open up and sprint or whatever, like there's the opportunity to train the aerobic system and train it differently. Like you said, with high and low
0: intensities with sports skill as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. That, like uh, like a number of these papers we're touching on and that's like, I keep talking about the interval work because I think it, makes a lot of sense to do it in that fashion rather than the steady state. And actually I was going to say this earlier when you're talking about the, like you do some tempo work and then kind of swings and then some throws and then back to some tempo stuff, which like it's continuous, but it's so much more fresh than going for a 25 minute jog. So big, awful, awful would recommend doing it more in that, in that vein. But um, the interval work, you can, a, like, as we talked about in, The second episode, the second part of the series, um, it's essentially like time of the work that you're doing times the intensity of that work um, is what will result in the adaptation. So you can do more intense work for less time or less intense work for more time and get the same results, essentially. Um, And like we said, the um, metabolite and like muscular adaptations are going to be a little bit more sensitive to the intensity. So but in terms of like the central response, it'll be similar. Yes. Um, so if you care about the central response, it doesn't matter. But if you care about the peripheral response, then it does. Um, but anyway, doing more work or the same amount of work in less time is valuable for everybody. I feel sport coaches like that stuff because then they have more time to practice sport. Um, and then you can also do low-level skills as part of your recovery in between the intervals as well. Um, So if you're dedicating 15 minutes of your practice time to doing some energy systems development, um, while you're only actually doing real work for maybe five of those 15 minutes, um, that's like an extra 10 minutes within the conditioning that you can do sports skills, and potentially an extra 15 minutes before the conditioning where you can do sports skills that you're not just going for a half hour run, you know? So I think that kind of a thing um, makes sense from that perspective as well. And then also there's papers on like setting up like small sided games or larger sided games just to, to, it gives you the same stimulus and you can manipulate, you know, the size of the field, the number of players um, on one side or the other side, or um, I don't remember if there was any studies talking about like, using two balls instead of one or something like that. Um, Probably not. That seems like it'd be dangerous, but um, there's a number of things you can change. And and the same with like, you can do work to rest ratio intervals with those things as well. And it's equally as effective as, you know, just running, but it's more fun and easier buy-in from the athletes and sports coaches probably. Well, and that goes back to the point, like, when I have here
1: starred like a hundred times and question marks everywhere, like what's actually the value of conditioning. And I don't mean the value of developing your aerobic or anaerobic systems to be prepared to play your sport. I mean, the value of like traditional conditioning where we think of, you know, running back and forth on the line or going for a 20 minute jog or riding the bike for an hour. Like what actually is the value of that? If like what you just explained, if you can get it through the sport, depending on your scenario, maybe it's not that important right now as we're recording, we're in the middle of another shutdown, at least our provinces. um, And I know most of the country is dealing with mostly the same thing. Some provinces aren't, but um, you know, that traditional conditioning maybe takes a little bit more precedence right now because we don't have access to being in our sport facilities, playing sports, playing the games doing that type of thing. So we need to do something to keep the systems ready to rock. But if you have access to doing that stuff, then if you have that, like you said, the small side of games, practice your skill development, set up in an intelligent way, you can get the energy system development you're looking for. So, you know, example, like when we were working with basketball, Waterloo in the off season, we saw them three times a week to lift they were down on the court two or three days a week doing runs. Mm -hmm. Like they were playing five on five. They were scrimmaging. They were just doing, it was, it was unstructured. It was, you know, it wasn't like a, a dedicated practice. Like it was in season where you're practicing systems and going over plays and whatever, but it was unstructured scrimmaging two to three times a week. While they're going out there, they're running around They're They're playing the exact basketball work to rest ratios because they're scrimmaging. Mm -hmm. So was it worthwhile for us to take any of those three days? We had them in the weight room to do more of what they were already doing. Well, probably not right now, if they weren't out there two or three times a week, we probably need to find some time to do some conditioning and make sure they're prepared to hit the court again when they're, they're going back. So I think it, it obviously always depends, always depends on your scenario. But um, I think, like what you talked about with some of the small sided games and the benefits of sport practice, you really I think have to take a look at your environment, your surroundings, and what you're in to decide like, is it worth to have dedicated conditioning time? Because if it's already being worked into something else,
0: then yeah, don't waste your time on it. But if it's not, then you obviously need to do it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I mean, and like just imagining the the difference between like the different stimuli you can get from like changing some of those factors. Like if you're talking about basketball, you know, imagine playing full court three on three where you have like one minute on the clock and whoever has the most points scored in one minute, like they win, you know, you have, you have to go, you know, it's going to be full court sprints back and yeah, forth. And the, number, the ground you're covering is going to be way higher. Exactly. Compared to like, imagine you're playing, um, like half court five on five for like 20 minutes straight, you know, just check at the top. There's no whistles, you know, you keep going, and that's a very aerobic stimulus all of a sudden. Um, you know, so you can, there's a lot of change you can do in like, like playing basketball, basketball is great because then you're developing everything exactly you need to do for that sport, but having exposures on either side of that stimulus is going to be valuable as well. Um, and one, uh, one paper that I came across was talking about a fatigue index, which I think is a, a really valuable tool potentially to assess some of this stuff. Like, um, if you're not doing any aerobic work, then you need to do some aerobic work. We know that, but if you are doing some, how do you know which athletes need more, which athletes need less? And for me, anyway, thinking about a fatigue index makes sense. So you just pick whatever activity. This one was talking about sprints, um, repeated sprints, and the, you know, you compare your fastest sprint to your average sprint. Essentially, like it's it's more of a complex formula than that. But that's you're looking at the
1: drop off effectively.
0: Yeah, it's that it's that ratio, um, and you know, I imagine if the ratio is very close to your top end, then you want to focus more on the top end. Um, And if the average is way far below your top end, then you want to do more conditioning work probably. Um, And for any sport like basketball, soccer, um, you know, football, hockey, even to an extent like doing sprint stuff makes sense. But um, I imagine you could apply it to any activity and just like you could do it like biking would be easy, or you could, you know, have people jumping on force plates or throwing a med ball, at a force plate or something like that, you know, and just seeing the peak force compared to the average force and you'd still get a similar kind of idea. You'd have to adjust the formula obviously, but, um, yeah, I think that could be a really valuable tool to use as well.
1: Yeah. You said the fatigue index is, I mean, it's in a number of different tests and there's a lot of sports specific tests too that look at that type of stuff. Um, I know there's one for rugby where you have to like get up and then run and then get down and then get up and then run. And it's mimicking the the getting up and getting down. So there are some versions of that where, like you said, there's this, this drop off or this fatigue index that's associated with it, but it looks different based on, you know, I know there's one for hockey where they're skating Mm -hmm. and they bring the timing gates out onto the ice. And then they look at, you know, your skating speed and things like that. And there's like, obviously the repeat sprint one that you mentioned where you do like six 30 meter sprints and what's your fastest, what's your slowest, what's your average. Mm-hmm. So yeah, like it, it's one of those things where, you know, how creative do you want to get with it?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: How well do you know your environment that you can create something that, you know, is relevant to what you're, yeah, you're actually doing. And yeah. I think that's, You know, probably the most important thing because everyone's environment is going to be a little bit different. Not everyone's dealing with the same resources, same team, same sport. All that stuff is different. So, you know, the more that you can adapt it to your specific environment, the better it's going to be. Because there's really no right or wrong, there's just what's working better and working worse within
0: your context. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, There was one kind of, Weird idea that I had. Um, that's not super related to what we we're just talking about, but um, matter. There was one paper that I read. It was about the interference of strength and uh, aerobic training, um, and they were testing. They did a number of different tests, and essentially, if you focus on strength, uh, you can build strength and maintain everything else except like sprint and jump performance. Do tend to go up as strength goes up, um, which is valuable. But um, strength training was enough to maintain endurance performance. Um, and endurance training was enough to maintain speed and jump performance um, and strength as well. Um, Interesting. I wouldn't have thought that. Yeah. And like, I mean, I don't remember. I think the subjects were athletes because I was coming across a number of uh, papers that had just normal people as their subjects. And I was like, I don't care about this moving on. Um, but, uh, so I, I think it was athletes. I don't remember what kind of athletes it was. Um, but then they were talking about to um, with the endurance training, it affected like squat performance or sorry, no, this was a different paper. Um, doing strength training concurrently with aerobic training, um, Squat performance didn't really go up that much, but bench press performance went up not as much as it did with like strength training by itself, but still like a really significant amount. Um, So to me, that means that the interference is local. So if you're running, then you're not going to be able to squat as well, but you'll be able to bench better. Um, Comparatively, if your aerobic training is like an arm cycle yeah, or something crank. like that those are brutal, um, by the way yeah or like the ski machine or something yeah uh, then you could probably still improve your squatting to a pretty reasonable degree um so to me if, if you care a lot about the um like central adaptations and don't care as much about like the muscular adaptations to endurance training then you could like alter i have a one block that's like upper body speed, strength, power, um, with lower body conditioning and then vice versa, like two blocks later or something like that. Um,
1: we had to be a work around the potential local interference that you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. And again, I think that highlights the, why it's important. Like you said, do you understand, are you going after a central adaptation or are you going after a local adaptation or is it a combination of both? Yeah because it will influence potentially what you do
0: mm-hmm.
1: in, in your training. Yeah. And that makes sense. Yeah. Cause you're not doing it that way. Then like you said, you may end up with an unintended consequence of, you know, Oh, I thought squat was going to go up more, or I thought I was going to be running faster, jumping higher or whatever it is. And it may not happen because then you didn't account for potential local interference.
0: Yeah. So yeah, I guess that the take home is just you got to understand that the adaptations and your sport and what are you what are you trying to improve, you know, what is everything you want to improve and then how can you make it work for you with like uh, selecting the appropriate activities and appropriate intensities and and whatnot. Yeah,
1: and that's all like, that's not just a rope training. That's probably every training topic we've. Disgust yeah. works the exact same way you need to know what you're going after and why you're going after it. Mm-hmm. And then once you understand that, then it's a lot easier to let the building blocks, you know, put them into place and, you know, know that you're probably, we never know for sure, but you're giving yourself a good chance or that it's probable you're going to get the outcome that you're, you're looking for.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and the only other thing that I wanted to say anyway, was that I, we've touched on it, like saying that the intensity matters, but I think there is value in treating it similar to other activities as well, where you are like, generally speaking, increasing the intensity throughout the off season. Um, just because like there's value in all levels of the intensity. Um, and there's certain attributes that respond better to more intensity And then that way, it's just like, it's a progressive stimulus. You know, like if, I don't know, I haven't seen the research on it, but I can imagine if you do a lot of high intensity interval work, going back to doing steady state exercise at 60% VO2 is not going to be as potent as if you started there. You know, if you started at 60% and then built up to like, you're doing 80% continuous and then you're getting into like 85, 90, 95 interval work and then pushing into like the 130% interval work. I imagine that would make, you get a lot more out of each stage. At least in my head, that makes sense. And then that's similar to like how you would periodize any other attribute essentially.
1: Well, to me, they're also different that I don't yeah. actually know. Like if I was doing interval work at 95%, I'd probably feel pretty trash going back yeah. to doing the continuous work at 60, because it's just not what I'm prepared for.
0: Well, so then, I, mean, I still think you would adapt well. and you
1: would get that, that stimulus. You know what I mean? Like that's the, um, I guess it's it's specific to different
0: things. So I'm thinking about it more from the central adaptation for sure. The peripheral is going to be completely different. Um, like how, how the muscles are going to adapt because you're using different fiber types. Um, you're, like accruing you know different levels of metabolites and things like that um but if we're just talking about the um like the adaptations at the heart and at the blood vessels like you're going from like essentially like oh, like a high to low yeah like a moderate intensity volume yeah. to like a lower volume higher intensity but yeah like for sure the adaptations of the muscles and and stuff are going to be different so um It could, it could be, yeah, equally as beneficial depending on when you do it. Um, and if you're going to do like steady state running, you need to be prepared for that amount of like ground contact, um, and things like that too. But yeah.
1: But yeah, it just goes to show, I think there's so many different ways you can do this.
0: Yeah. hundred percent.
1: And get creative. yeah, exactly. Get creative. And we know that the aerobic system is important. We know there's benefit to, to having some of it in there. Yes. An endurance athlete is going to need way more of it than a team sport or speed power athlete, depending on what they're doing. Absolutely. But I think there's enough ways that we can, we can implement this in a creative way where, yeah, if you need it three or four times a week, here it is. But if you just need to have it in there once a week to get, you know, your minimum effective dosage, to improve on it and have the aerobic system where it needs to be, yep. then you have options as well. So I think that's yeah, you know, don't overlook it and don't just exclude it because we think of sport team sport and speed power sports as being all about that. And that there's no aerobic or fitness air quotations, fitness, you know, contributions that, that are being made. Yeah. Because I know yeah. I've thought that way before. Ah, don't worry about the aerobic system. It doesn't actually matter.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Definitely don't ignore it. Um, but also, if it's not like a major, major part of your sport, like don't spend too much time stressing about it. Just try yeah, to exactly. like, find a way to make it, you know, enjoyable for the athletes. Find a way to do other things with that time as well. You know, if you can work on sport skills, as we're talking about, or, um, you know, work on like more of the athletes uh, elasticity piece or strength piece or hypertrophy piece or whatever. Um, something that's also beneficial for your sport with that time, then it's, I mean, it's like anything else you want to, you have a finite amount of time and adaptation quality. So you want to like select the most appropriate things to be doing with that time. Optimize it. Like exactly. Like you don't want to have, this, like I have one exercise for strength. I have one exercise for speed. I have one exercise for power. I have one exercise for endurance, you know, like you want to, if you can do more things with less stuff, then do it for sure. Um, Yeah. And I mean, a, an important part of making, uh, especially if you're going for a long run to make that enjoyable, you want to have some good tunes that you're playing. Um, I don't know how you could do it without it. Yeah. Or even Man, I'm I going mean,
1: for 20 or 25 minute jobs right now once a week. And I hate them.
0: <laughs> you should break them down into you know some more friendly intervals. Not yet. Almost. Almost okay. there. All right. <laughs> um, yeah. So what are you listening to on your runs or otherwise? Um, well, I haven't been listening to this on my runs, but I wanted to share. I've been
1: listening to uh you can see. It's one person. I was about to say a band, but I guess one person's on a composer, whatever, musical artist. Um, Starcadian. Starcadian Yeah. Super groovy, super catchy, kind of synth wave. They're actually listed as like a film composer. Okay. Because they make ear movies.
0: Oh, that's an interesting name.
1: You know what I mean? Like, And, and it's kind of true because they're, they're in that synth wave stuff, but apparently they do produce films and they do you know, writing and other things like that. They're just an artist, it appears. Um, But yeah, just really kind of like 80s sounding, but has funk elements in it. But it sounds like it's from the future. But it has this retro feel to it. Like, it's just a lot of really kind of catchy songs and a lot of like atmospheric songs that almost tell a story. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think it's because a lot of I didn't realize this until I watched a documentary on it the other day, but a lot of synthwave artists like have a background in filmmaking. Oh, interesting. Because when you're first starting out, you have to learn how to do everything. So you know how to do camera, you know how to create the story, you know how to edit the film, and you also have to compose music mm-hmm. and the soundtracks that go in. Cause you can't afford to hire a composer because mm-hmm. you're on a one person budget. So there's a lot of synthwave artists that, started out in film and then stayed in music and became like composers for creating music that you hear in, in movies and as backing tracks and things like that. So, mm-hmm. but yeah, the stuff is like super groovy, super catchy, like 100%, you will dance, you will sing along. Like it's impossible not to with some of it. Mm-hmm. So and a, a wide range, like really different stuff, like I said, some of it really funky, really catchy. You're going to be dancing and singing other songs like no lyrics at all and just atmospheric and it sounds like it belongs in a movie and it's telling a story just really cool stuff so i've been i've been jamming out to a lot of Starcadian
0: recently yeah yeah that sounds like it'd be a fun thing to check out for sure a lot to, uh a lot to suit different moods different roller coaster ride yeah i bet yeah i bet very cool
1: um what about you what are you what, what are you listening to as you go on your
0: 20 minute runs i'm not doing any 20 minute yeah, I runs know. i'll tell you that I know. <laughs> um i so i can't remember what i think the last one i shared was Lone i was x like, so i i don't yes. listen to yes a lot. that
1: was the last one yes yeah, okay we
0: we talked uh before the show that i don't have a lot of time to listen to stuff lately so uh i try to keep it you know, so that I can share a new thing every episode. Um, but I recently, my brother told me a while ago about um, the longest John's who I have mentioned on the show before. Yeah. Uh, Cause I, I found them, I told him and then he told me when they had a new album called their land shanties album, because they are a, a sea shanties group. Um, and then they wrote uh, seven songs and it's in an album, um, their land shanties. So it's instead of a ship, it's a car instead of the sea it's a road um (laughs) and they are so funny they're phenomenal and like they sound great too like they're it's really well produced really well done their voices are great um but just the content is hilarious Um, even just the
1: concept though we're gonna make a land shanty and talk about driving the car on the road as opposed to the boat on the seas, like even just the the clever humor behind that is like i appreciate that
0: it's it's fantastic so they've got uh They've got a song about getting drive through They've got a song about running out of gas. They've got a song about when you see another driver of the same car model as yours. Oh, no. <laughs> um, they've got one for, like, ignoring what the GPS says. Like, it's, it's so good. So uh. They've got one for, like, when you're trying to find a parking space close to the store. And you don't want to like get one that's far away from like at the back of the parking lot. Yeah. Yeah. Right, right in front of the store. Yeah, It's it's, it's all it's, relatable things though. It's so relatable. Yeah. It's, it's hopefully fantastic. not the running out of gas one, but you know, no, but it's, it's just so like dramatic too. you know how sea shanties are like, it's everything's so epic. Yeah. And it's like it's, high it's, energy, like, like things yeah. are up there. It's the same tone, you know, like it's really just, yeah, it's, it's incredible. I, if you like funny songs like comedic songs then check it out for sure it's it's great
1: content I mean I'm a car guy I want to listen now
0: yeah <laughs> so yeah it's it's uh it was a good time listening to those for sure that's a good pick man I like that one yeah yeah would recommend um yeah so that was that concludes another series that was fun yeah um, painless I would say
1: uh, a lot less painful than I thought it was gonna be you know I yeah. did not want to do. A robot yeah. I did not even want to touch this topic. I was like, I don't even want to talk about this for 30 seconds. And we yeah. got three episodes out of it.
0: Yeah, so we talked about it for right. three hours. Yeah. Um, so if anybody has any ideas for our next series or other topics that we should cover, let us know. Speed Strength Show, Speed Strength Performance, Braden Southern, uh, Directed Strength. Um, and yeah, until then, thanks for coming along, world. That was the Speed Strength Show.
1: We'll see you next time. Peace.